Hey everyone, we are so excited to have Joe Newman, the author of Raising Lions, on the podcast today. This book has shaped how I parent my boys and specifically when they are in a strongly defiant um, and boundary pushing mood or um, as we're going through a cycle of them pushing boundaries, hitting, just having more extreme behaviors. Um, Joe's emphasis with the book Raising Lions is compassionate discipline, kind of focusing on that balance between um, power and connection. So holding those boundaries while also respectfully connecting with our children. I hope that you pull as much benefit from this interview as I have from Joe's book and his infinite wisdom. Um, He is a self-proclaimed lion as a child, and I feel that this gives him special knowledge into the actions of our kids. So please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Joe Newman. Welcome to Find the Magic, the podcast that will help you honor yourself, your kids, and your partner. We'll give you tips and strategies to create peace and authenticity within your family. We inhale a ridiculous amount of books and life tools and distill the information for you. I'm Terilyn Griffin. I'm Caitlin Gabriel. And I'm Felicia Allen. Let's find the magic together. What's up, you guys? Roger Jessup here with the Utah House Doctors. So you just bought your nice new house, and what happens when something goes wrong or something breaks? We have you covered. We have vetted several contractors, whether it be from a break in your sprinkler lines or your kid punched a hole in the wall and you just need a handyman. You have access to these people by following our page, and these are people that we know and trust. Hey everyone, this is Tara Lynn, and I would just like to give a personal thank you to everybody who has left us a review. They are so kind. I seriously get like teared up when I read them. Um, One of my most current favorites is from a mom. She says that our podcast came out about when her first baby was born and she'd listen to our episodes on every walk that she'd go on. And she felt like she had like her best friends walking with her. So I just want to let you guys know that um, we've had a lot of people say that we feel like they feel like we are their friends. And I want you guys to know that we think about you guys all the time as our listeners. And we, I totally feel like you're our friends as well. So I just want to thank you for leaving us a review and let you know it is so helpful for us and our podcast success when you do leave us a kind review. So Thank you. Um, if you are willing to leave us one, you just go to search Find the Magic on Apple Podcasts, and then you scroll to the bottom of the page and leave a review, and then you make sure you push send after you leave the review and give us a rating. Thank you so, so much, and hope you have a beautiful day. All right, everybody, I am here with Joe Newman, the author of, as you guys know, one of my favorite um, parenting books, Raising Lions, The Art of Compassionate Discipline. So welcome, Joe. I'm so excited to have you. Great to be here. It's nice to meet you uh, face to face. I know. This is fun to do video. Um, Joe and I have just been chatting about surfing and both of our strong connection to water. So I feel like we're on the same wavelength here. 
So as we dive into your book, I would love to have you just introduce yourself and specifically yourself as a child and how that kind of led into the path you took with writing this book and working with kids. Well, you know, I mean, I think in the book I talk about sort of being the poster child for ADHD mm-hmm. uh, before it was called ADHD. And, um, you know, I think maybe what's missing is it besides being extremely uh, kind of defiant and physically aggressive and very impulsive, you know, I was also just precocious and charming. I went to a preschool and the there was a guy named Dr. Bond and his wife who thought I was like a little genius and they they had me doing all kinds of different hands-on things. So they were seeing a different side of me that public school saw. You know, I, I really flourished there. And when I went to public school, things all sort of fell apart pretty quickly because I had to sit still. I had to follow uh, a tight schedule. It was not the hands-on moving around uh, kind of engagement that I'd been used to at this preschool. And very quickly, they wanted to hold me back. Uh, and not let me go on to second grade. But my parents were like, well, he's testing higher than grade level, so we're not holding him back. And then middle of second grade, very patient teacher, uh, who I could tell really, I could feel that she loved me. And it was such Mm -hmm. a different feeling because the first one I could tell did not. Mm -hmm. And so I was really, really trying my best to, to... to not make her life difficult in the second grade, but I still couldn't stop myself. <laughs> I couldn't stop myself from getting up, from touching everything, from sharpening my pencil until it was a nub, you know, <laughs> twice a day. And, and eventually they, she referred me to a doctor who diagnosed me ADHD, you know, and I think in, I was medicated then for probably seven or eight years. I uh, took myself off when I was 14. Because I really had a feeling like I need to learn how to manage this mind myself. Mm-hmm. This is my mind. Totally. And, uh, and, it, and it was very difficult. And I didn't do particularly well. And I went to college and dropped out after seven weeks. And then I went into the next 10 years after high school, working about 30 or 40 different jobs. You know, I was a personal trainer. I sold encyclopedias. I was a court reporter. I built furniture. I had a moving company. I did, you know, I was a cook. I was a waiter. Um, I just, the list goes on. I drove a tractor. I picked oranges. I, um, just on and on. I had all sorts of little entrepreneurial gigs and jobs and little companies and, you know, I uh, traveled quite a bit surfing and, um, So um, that, you know, that was my sort of setup. So I love as you're talking about that, that you're identifying that there's these behaviors that sometimes teachers or as parents were more identifying them as something wrong or disorder in the kid. But in your book, I love that you, once you notice this in yourself, you start to view them as gifts. So can you kind of explain that a little better? Yeah. So I think, you know, I think it's a, it, we do ourselves a great disservice to, to even to say AD disorder, right? Mm-hmm. But you want to start by thinking about ADHD um, as tangential thinking. Okay. So when you think somebody thinks somebody mentions bird to one child and they think of three or four things related to birds and you mention it to an ADD child and they think of 25. 
And then they think of the 25 things connected to those 25 and the 25 things connected to those 25. So you wonder why you don't have their attention. Well, they've got 200 things to think about all of a sudden, and they're all really more interesting than what you're talking about. So this can be a highly creative way to put things together that other people are not seeing the connections to. Right. Uh, and can lead to some very deep, serious learning in terms of how you uh, examine things and when you find something that holds your interest, it, but it does take longer for that to develop. Right. And for our listeners, as we're talking about these, in quote, disorders or, you know, stronger behaviors in kids, this is ranging from kids are, you know, like a little bit more bouncing around, a little more defiant, maybe all the way to the more extreme ends of the spectrum. You've worked with kids on the whole range. Yeah. Right. So how can we see that these behaviors are, they're rising in our kids exponentially, even in the ones who haven't been identified as any sort of disorder, right? That's right. And this is the thing about, first of all, ADD, ADHD, it's not like you can take a COVID test and they go, you got it. Right. There's no such test. There just isn't. There are these Connor scales, which are questions about observations of behavior in a number of different environments. And if you observe enough of this behavior, then you say, oh, we've checked, you know, 93 boxes. uh, And so they're ADHD. But if they'd only checked, you know, 92, they wouldn't be ADHD. Mm -hmm. This is a very ambiguous thing. And and there's clearly a, a big impact from the culture and from our parenting. Right, right. So, and that's that's something that I love that you um, identify is that, I mean, it's not a rainbows and butterflies way of looking at it necessarily as a parent because it is saying we need to take some control of this wave of how our kids are changing. So I, I love in your book, you say, our children are fine. It is us that needs to change. But when you dive into that, it gives us so much power to see that how our, our kids' brains are malleable and our interactions with them can, t- can turn a relationship where we feel like we're totally out of control, our kids in charge, to molding our kid into be able to harness those gifts. That's and right. I feel like that's a very hopeful way of looking at it. Yeah. No, I think there's just so much that you can do. And that's, that's I mean, just in terms of a child's attention span, a child's impulse control. If these things are motivated and practiced at home and you you have behavior tools to be able to do those things um, that understands the nature that's driving a lot of that, you know, a child that might appear on a scale of one to 10 as like a nine in terms of impulsivity at school, all of a sudden they might appear as a seven. Mm-hmm. Between a seven and a nine might be the need to medicate or not medicate. Mm-hmm. It might be that once you get them to a seven, they start to accumulate enough success that the success adds another motivator and now they're more focused. And then they move to looking like a six. Will they ever be the kid who's super linear thinking, who's focused you know, on exactly what they're supposed to be focused on, whether they're interested in it or not? No. Yeah, totally. But you can mitigate those things and help them to gain more control in circumstances that demand a different kind of thinking. like public school for it. Right. Um, so I have three boys and then a little girl. So they're six, four, two, all boys, and then a baby. And 
So I read your book and Boys Adrift by Leonard Sachs pretty early in when my when my boys were all young and babies are not yet born. And it sort of like pre-switched my brain into realizing I do think boys lean a little more towards bees, um, you know, kind of switch on and off their brain, maybe a little more bodily movement, <laughs> a little more um, pushing back physically. And I, it has really helped me um, to see them more through this lens of these can be gifts if we harness them instead of you're wrong. You need to sit here and listen to exactly what I say all the time because that just causes them to push back more and more and more. So can you describe for our listeners behaviors that we are seeing in kids now more as opposed to in past generations? So this is the lion kid that you're describing? Yeah, so say so let's start with two things that have changed. Uh, one culturally, one in terms of parenting, that is shifting the way that our children develop. Mm -hmm. One is that as a culture, we've made this big change from having a need and a desire for our children to participate in the work of the house, the work of the community from a young age, uh, to all the focus being on academic skills that you can take with a pencil and paper or with a test on a computer. Mm -hmm. uh, so what that means is that all of that hands-on repetitive skills of self-discipline and learning things over and over again and observing people around you in a physical way that used to teach and develop the prefrontal cortex is gone. Mm -hmm. They might be doing games in that way, but that's purely on self-interest and what they're drawn to. It's not based on putting aside and deferring their gratification and going and collecting a certain kind of twig to help build the fire for the family or following mom around and doing a certain chore to help her get something done or participating with dad in a, you know, in, in how he has to move through the day and finish and, and learn about certain tools and have a certain amount of control and defer the gratification. All of those things used to be a part of the day. Right. Disappearing chores are, going out the window because parents are going, it's easier to do it myself. And they don't have those skills to the behavior skills to bring them on board and start to get them into that participatory role. There's number one. Right. Now, number two is, look, if you're my age and anybody my age, I'm 58, you were a little afraid of your parents. Mm -hmm. You were a little afraid of your teachers. Mm -hmm. Maybe you were a lot afraid of them. You know, I, I worked with guys who like got grew up in Texas and they're younger than me and they got the paddle every day. And they were like, school said you could get a maximum of five swats and they got that maximum every single day for a decade. And then they go home and they get whatever their dad gave them. Mm -hmm. So there was fear that was generated that was uh, that functioned as a, a sort of tension to keep children aware and make them adapt. I don't think fear is a good way to raise kids. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's a good trend that we've transitioned away from that. And we know all the damage that that does. Um, but we also have to replace that with something because having some natural tension so that your children take you seriously mm -hmm. is vitally important. Otherwise, they're not going to self-regulate. And so right. those two things play out and you end up seeing kids who feign inability 
here's your behaviors, right? They feign inability to do things. They feign inability to control themselves. They pretend like they can't understand what you're saying or even hear you when you said something. Um, they pretend like they can't control their own emotions. They become more angry, more willful, more aggressive, you know, more rageful, more manipulative, okay? Totally. They will have direct defiance. They don't mind looking you out in the eye as a four-year-old and going, not going to do it. it. <laughs> Make me. Uh -huh. you know, and, and because they're not afraid. So what else do you do? You've got to have other skills. Otherwise, you'll never create this mutual recognition that is healthy and creates intimacy and creates connection and, you know, self-discipline. Right. And so this is that balance between the power and the connection and I really want to dive deep into that as well as the omnipotent phase that you talk about. Um, so I'm going to put a little bookmark there, but I do want to ask you, cause I was curious about this. Um, and I believe that you're working on the, on a book that is kind of touching on this, but so when you're talking about helping in the home and contributing to their well being, right. um, where, where now we can say, here's, you know, your switch and there's always food in, in my pantry and my mom's going to make sure I get everywhere I need to go. So my life is pretty much just set and their well-being is not affected by their contribution. In a world where that is mostly true, um, how can we, as parents, how can we build that into their life in a way that feels genuine? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, so... I've been thinking a lot about the idea of natural consequences, because this is one thing that, you know, parents are asked to do all the time, you know, mm -hmm. what? And, and then you look at some extreme examples and you go, well, it's not a natural consequence to not let them go play when, until they finish their chores. That's not natural. You know, it's like, see, I actually think that is, that's an appropriate consequence, but it's not natural. Mm -hmm. And you, we have to start to think that um, we've become the causes and effects in our child's world. There's nothing natural about their day. The food on their table didn't come to them as a natural consequence of their action. The switch in their hands did not come as a consequence of their natural working toward saving and buying something. You know, mm -hmm. there's nothing natural about that day. We're, we are, in essence, the, their gods and, you know, uh, powerful forces that move and create the causes and effects. So it is incumbent upon us to do that in a way that reflects the world they're going to go into. Right. We, we have to look at the causes and create the effects. And we want to create that in a way that most benefits them and helps them develop a kind of psychology and self-knowledge that will be most powerful in the world and not undermine that. And this is, um, as you're saying, we're, we are kind of creating um, them, but as they, as they slowly progress into the real world, those are the, those are going to be natural consequences of them not, uh, doing those actions. So we're sort of like building in what they're going to experience out there. That's right. We want to prepare them for that. So, you know, the, here's the most basic thing. And I was, uh, I was talking to a family yesterday. And I said, look, what we're really just looking for, and they have a, they're struggling with a 14 year old who just, who just wants what they want and they don't want to give anything and they, they leave the dishes and they don't stay for the dinner time and they, you know, and they're on their phone all the time. And 
I said, look, we, we need to find the things that you need. We need to make them very clear. You need her sitting with you for half an hour at the dinner table. You need her to not be on her phone when you go for a drive together. You know, you need her to clean certain things up. And we need to pair those with the things that she gets from you, that she takes for granted. You want the phone to be on all night? Well, if these things aren't done, the phone's going to get turned off at eight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and you start by, so a lot of what I end up doing with parents is I look at things initially to create a structure. And that structure uh, is, has to be transactional. What do you want from your kids? Let's define it. Mm -hmm. And what do, they, what do they most want from you? And let's limit those things and say, look, to the extent I get these, you get these. I'm not going to take them all away. I'm not going to scream and yell. I'm not going to tell you, you know, uh, how horrible you are. But I am going to say, look, I run a store here. Right. Here's the stuff on the shelf that you want. This is the price for that stuff. If you don't want to pay it, don't pay it. But then you can't walk out with it. Right, right. So you pair that structure with a relationship. And now your relationship has meaning. Mm -hmm. Because if you just say, look, I can't control your decisions, you're going to do what you want to do. But their decisions always lead to them getting what they want, even when they're horrible. Well, that's not the world. Mm -hmm. So as you set up that structure, so say we have a family that's in a, in a cycle. I feel like kids go through these cycles. So let's do an example of siblings who are constantly, you know, like hitting or hurting each other with their bodies or with words. I feel like this is a, a question that we, we get a lot. And then mixed in there, you have, you know, the classic, not listening or doing something when you ask those sort of situations. So you build in this structure where it's clearly communicated expectations. Right. Because I see often that that, just that, clearly communicating what you expect and following through both parents, if there's two parents in the home, communicating those and being on the same page, that can sometimes remedy a lot of things. So we communicate that structure clearly. And then can you dive into your methods for holding those boundaries? So specifically breaks, this before that, those kind of tools that you have in your tool bag. So I'm glad you brought up breaks. So breaks are a way to bring a cause and effect relationship into a moment when you're not thinking about big consequences or something else doesn't happen. You know, you know, how do you, you can't say, well, you know, you're not going to get access to the, um, to the iPad because you've called me stupid three times this hour and it's driving nuts. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. like that moment, you need a couple things. And a break is a, is a way to interject uh, kind of cause and effect and assert your needs. So I'm going to start with breaks. So break, you know, you follow a break protocol um, and you say, you know, Felicia, you know, I need you to take a break. You, you know, you call your, you call your baby brother something nasty or mm -hmm. you throw a toy at him and hit him in the head or something. Mm -hmm. And I say, I need you to take a break. You've got five seconds to sit here. If you don't sit, then it becomes a longer break. And if you don't sit, I'm going to hold you. You're mm -hmm. four. Mm -hmm. Oh, sitting and holding you until you sit quietly and calm yourself is appropriate for a four-year-old. Mm -hmm. Those steps. Now, he, you learn that all of a sudden that you need to regulate quickly when I say that. 
all I've created is a, a, is some reality to that moment that means something to how you learn. Mm -hmm. I'm going to apply that. One of the ways to understand your day with your kids is that imagine you're always wearing a backpack with an open hoop on it. <laughs> so are your kids. Mm -hmm. And when your kid ignores you or smacks his brother or um, refuses to clean up their toys, they've just taken a 10 pound bag of flour and they've dropped it in your backpack. Two minutes later, another 10 pounds dropped in the backpack. You say, hey, I don't like when you do that. Two minutes later, another 10 pounds dropped in your backpack. This goes on and, and an hour in, you wonder why you're so angry and irritated. Mm -hmm. You've got 200 pounds on your back. <laughs> There's a reason you're irritated. Right. So what the break protocol is, it's a means of spotting that moment when the flower is coming in and about to be dropped and you grab it and you put it in their backpack. You say, oh, this is yours. It's not <laughs> totally transactional but you're doing it you're going to look you, you know this is your decision and so how you and then how you do breaks and the kind of uh, you know um I, the other thing i wrote down when you were speaking is there were less information totally so there's so, so many things that our children can figure out on their own one of the main themes of the book coming up which is uh, the, the working title is children your children are smarter than you think <laughs> love it one of the themes is that our current culture has taken away the, the most important exercise for human beings and the one that our children need the most the ability to adapt mm -hmm. circumstances that ask them to adapt because adaptation causes learning you know, and learning causes adjustment and consideration of others and growing. Mm -hmm. We keep adapting to them. If we keep giving the information that they could figure out, they don't develop those muscles and habits. And we end up being their prefrontal cortex. We wonder why their prefrontal cortex is developing slowly. Well, they, they subcontracted it out to mom and she's doing all the work. So she's got a super strong prefrontal cortex. She's super mom. And I'm, I'm the kid without the ability to, to follow through on anything. And I think we see this looking into, you know, that tween teenage years where they, they really have no ability to self-regulate because they haven't really had to. Yeah. And that's scary, especially when you throw in technology and trying to live on their own. So I think if we can help our children learn or at least go through the process of self-regulation when they're young, it, I mean, I can see that slowly build, you know, my oldest is six and he can almost completely self-regulate through any sort of situation that he's put into because at one point he did have to do it. He had to learn how to do it. And we have to create that container where they can learn. So let, for our listeners, I know that um, as we're parenting and we start to get into the respectful parenting realm where we're honoring our child's power, which is really good, we start to become wary or we hear things that make us wary of things like timeouts or yeah. breaks. I'm putting timeouts in quotes because it, as I have read, when I read your book and then I'm like deep in respectful parenting, 
literature, they can like a timeout can seem like something that that pushes against respectful parenting. But I have used breaks with my boys as well as like a this before that structure with great success. And you can see how it's different from go to your room. I, I cannot handle you. I don't want to see you. And I need you to take a second to regulate your emotions and how powerful that is. Even my two-year-old inside the structure can self-regulate, calm himself down and get into a space where like his little brain is working through the problem. So can you differentiate that for our listeners? Let me start with one of the basic principles, which if you you haven't read Raising Lions, you, you probably don't know, which is that when children have moments of conflict, when they're defying you, when they're when they're not even self-regulating, you're not sure if they can or they're just choosing something else that you don't want them to do. That behavior has a deeper purpose, and that purpose is to to explore their world. They want to, they're asking, "Who are you? Are you like me? I have power. Do you have power?" Mm-hmm. And if you're constantly moving that boundary, if you're not giving an sort of an immediate connection of no here, here, then that question is answered with, I'm not here. It's basically saying to the child, you have power, but I don't have power. You're here, and but I'm not here and important. And emotionally, a child experiences that as abandonment, mm-hmm. as emotional abandonment. And the parent becomes less substantive with each one of those types of unsuccessful holding of boundaries until they're kind of ghost-like. This creates an anxiety, a a feeling of omnipotence, a need to try and control more than they should. Um, And the child's driven in a cycle like that. So So there's a need for this actual consequence that happens, a real wall that they come up against. That's you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Come up them, they come up against you. How do you do that respectfully? Okay, my first book, I used the term time out to describe what I was doing. As I read other literature, because I would sort of working on my own for years with extreme children, I realized what I had evolved into my time out was the antithesis of what most people were doing in calling timeouts. Right. There wasn't an isolation. You weren't pairing it with information that was creating a low expectation or a judgment about their choice or robbing them of their autonomy or a disrespectful tone. Mm-hmm. You were all those things, the opposite of those things. You were having them regulate for a limited amount of time nearby, okay? Not in their room, not away from the group. Yeah. You were very clear about what was happening. You were taking you're taking the information out of it and the judgment out of it, which is something I was super sensitive to just because as an impulsive ADHD child, I heard all day long what I was doing wrong. Mm -hmm. And if you would have stopped at any one of those moments and you said, can you tell me, Joe, what what it is that I need you to not do? I could have told you. Mm -hmm. Right, I know. I just wanted to take a quick break and tell everyone thank you for sharing your journal planners that you have received them and how you are using them. We love seeing the ways that it's helping you become more in touch with 
um, the person you want to be in the future and also helping you find a little space and pockets of peace in your day. Um, we created this journal because we use it and we thought that there might be some of you who could benefit from having a planner that aligns with connecting with yourself and your kids and living authentically. We hope you're loving it. And thank you for sharing. It really helps others see how the journal can be used in their lives. So thank you again. So once you start doing that in that way I'm describing, it's a very liberating experience for a child. Mm -hmm. They're not being judged anymore. They're not having to defend their actions. There's limited short consequences that they understand. Um, they're not forced to talk about it unless they need to talk about it or they don't understand, which most of the time they don't. I moved to calling it breaks. You know, the second edition of Raising Lions will come out this year. Uh, that will have the name change to breaks with an explanation of, of what I just said and why they're, we need to differentiate them. But these are very different things than what people assume is time out. But boundaries are respectful. That boundary moment Yep. Connecting to your child, they're learning that, you, that you're like them and they need to know that. Mm -hmm. Otherwise things go awry. So I would love to have you kind of flesh out an example of that moment and how we can implement a break in. So I would say probably circumstances that happen with most all kids. I love the examples in your book that you give of really extreme behavior kids and how this works so if you if you feel like you'd like to give one of those also um i would love to hear how you would implement a break with so let's say you know a lot of people are homeschooling right now or trying to do some sort of instruction in their home so they have a few kids trying to work on some sort of schooling and you have one that is poking with the pencil hitting the brother or doing something like that, you'd like to implement a break. Can you tell us how, how that would look? And maybe especially if the child pushes back against the break physically. All right. So first of all, the thing to understand about a break process is that you want, you always want to put a break in a framework that makes sense and motivates them to self-regulate within a, a fairly short period of time. Okay. You know, and I, I have videos on my YouTube channel that follow and explain this pattern. Okay, great. If you haven't seen it, just type in Raising Lions in YouTube. You'll go to the channel. There's a bunch of different videos. Most of the people in the videos are parents acting like their kids. Oh, fun. Okay. Because I live in LA, so there's a lot of actors. A lot of parents. <laughs> I love it. So uh, I, I had a couple come to me and go, hey, we want to help you put some videos together. I think it'd be really helpful. And we've got a studio. And I know an actor and I know a film guy. So, anyway, that's cool. so as a structure, what I mean is... I typically create what I call as a cognitive map. What's a cognitive map? It means that let's take a four-year-old. A four-year-old, I'll say, I need you to take a one-minute break and you can move right there, maybe three feet away and your butt needs to be in that chair. It's not a big deal, but just take a seat there. If you don't sit, then I have to count to five and then you get a three-minute break. Well, let's see what you're going to do. Five. One. Butts in the chair, great. All right, you ready to start? Okay. I say, what did I do? I said, well, we can talk about it later if you want to. Mm -hmm. They never want to talk about it later. Right. They, they know. 
<laughs> that was a delay tactic. It, it's a right. very successful one. It's like the, the most successful delay tactic in the history of children training their parents. Uh, <laughs> but we, we've got to address it directly by just not saying, look, we can talk about it later. All of a sudden, it doesn't work. So if they don't take that, it's a three-minute break. If they don't take that, then you move to them and you sit with them and hold them for a five-minute break. Mm -hmm. It doesn't start until they're quiet. Typically, a five-minute break would be like, I'll sit when you're done crying or pulling or yelling or even trying to hit me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep you from hitting me and I'm going to wait because that's how it might look the first time. Mm -hmm. um, so one, it, it, there's a simple cognitive map. Now, the reason that that becomes powerful is not because you do it perfectly the first time with the right language. It becomes powerful because you repeat it 50 times. Mm -hmm. They'll learn it. Mm -hmm. They adapt to it. There's your adaptation. They're going to learn, oh, I keep trying to train mom and get her to adapt to me. Now I'm going to have to adapt to her and, she, and they will. Mm -hmm. Oh, you start if you, you know if you know you're gonna have a child who's physically gonna fight you, you, you do that on a day when you haven't got any place to go, when right. you're not ready to get out of the house, when maybe there's two parents in the home, if you have two parents in the home who can support each other and go, we're gonna move through this until the pattern sticks. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden what you see is children learn the map because they're just the reason they're fighting it is because they have already have a map. And the map in their mind is, you know, if I fight hard enough or I cry loud enough, they're going to let me go and I won't do it. And, and I know I, I'm training mom that anytime she wants to give me a break, it's going to take 20 horrible minutes to get through it. Right. And doesn't want to go through it. So you have to move through that and pattern, let them learn like a, what the scientists they are. And before you know it, you'll have kids that during the school day are going, you say, take a break for a minute. They're going to sit away. They're going to sit, contain themselves, go back. That solves a lot of problems right there because you're actually bringing in a moment of what I call meet the hand where they're connecting and they're coming up with a boundary. You're also laying a cognitive map that they respect and they'll adjust to. This appeals to the scientist. And on a neuro neurological level, they're self-regulating within a count of five. They're moving, sitting, quieting, waiting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All these things are happening one little moment. The next level of that is what you referred to this before that. So let's say you have Zoom school. Well, every time you give a break and they have to move away, you might make a little mark and go, okay, that's one minute that has to be made up of Zoom school before you go on to play with your brothers after Zoom school's done. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so at the end, you say, you know, they're like, oh, Zoom school's over. I'm ready to I say, you know, hold on. I would love for you to play with your brothers, but you've got this eight minutes of school you missed that you've got to do eight minutes of work. It's nothing personal. Mm -hmm. Everyone has Zoom school. You missed eight, so you owe eight. And no, no, no. So look, when you're ready to sit and do the eight, then when you do this, then that will happen afterwards. Mm -hmm. Hold that boundary as you need to. So there's a this before that component that brings them back into sort of, you know, you finish work and then you go out. Right. And I love, I love this before that because it is showing what they are going to have to do in their real life. We, we do have natural consequences in the real world of, you know, before we can earn our degree, we do need to do this assignment or, you know, that is kind of how our world works. 
And so being able to hold that line is, is really easy for me. It's giving them the choice of you can choose to do your tidy now, or you can throw a big fit about not doing your tidy for half an hour, but you can't play until the tidy is done. And you can see how their brains are like, oh, well, then I should do the tidy now because that means I get to play sooner if you're, you're holding that line in that structure. So on our podcast, one of our main pillars of parenting is to hold those strong boundaries with the connection. And this is um, a big part of your book, that balance of power and connection. So can you break down how as they move out of being a baby, they come into the stage of om- omnipotence as a toddler and how they test how their power works um, with how our power works and how that um, moves into their childhood. And in the book specifically, you talk about how kids are remaining, they're like lagging out in that omnipotent phase. So can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, so I think, um... You know, something that you wrote uh, in an email to me before this, and mm-hmm. I, I mess up what it was exactly, but I will say mm-hmm. something to the effect of, you know, you know, how do we deal with these sort of intense behaviors and how do we, and I think part of it, I was thinking about the title, like find the magic in these, mm-hmm. you know, when we're having all these boundaries and not just feel like, you know, prison wardens, you know, trying right. to. Right, right. And I think what we need to understand is that our children, because they're not afraid of us, because there isn't a fear thing, because we're not punitively punishing them, they don't mind a little bit of a fight. They right. don't mind conflict. Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons I'm good at my work is I like a fight. <laughs> I, I like it. I used to wrestle. You know, I, I like, you know, a, a big day in the surf and kind of a beat down and, you know, the refreshing, you know, I like even a competitive argument or something. I'm just, right. I'm, I like some battle and I don't take it personally. Uh, I think it's fun. I think it's interesting. Um, and your kids do too. Mm-hmm. Natural. It's very natural. The reason you might not have as a child, if you didn't, is that you had some fear of your parents, you know, or maybe you wanted their approval more than you wanted to experiment with your power. They're more interested in power than approval. Mm-hmm. let's think about that and let's try and change our relationship with conflict to be a little p- more playful and a little more joyful. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when I set boundaries, I'm going to be very strict, but I'm also going to be, I'm going to try and keep my tone like completely not taking it personally to the extent I can. I mean, there's times when you get annoyed and you're just like, you do your best just to say very little and you say <laughs> anything coming out of your mouth is going to be angry or annoyed. So you're just, try and say very little, that's okay too. But for me, it's just, if you can set those boundaries on a regular basis, keep them on their toes aware. Right. You're playing the same game they are. All of a sudden you're on their wavelength because they're trying to train you. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. trying to pretend like they don't understand what you want, or they're trying to get away with as much as they can and do as little that's difficult as they can. Mm-hmm. That's part of their job. Your job is to keep them on their toes and get them considering you and developing and learning and adapting as quickly as possible and feeling like they're not judged in that process. Right. Yeah. I One of my favorite things right now is my six-year-old, he'll push back against something and I just like look at him and I feel like my face is like, are you serious? And he will look at me and just like kind of smile like, 
dang it, I thought I had you, but I didn't, (laughs) you know? And I think that that push and pull that they, we are raising kids. We're raising lions who are more powerful than they have more power than we had. And that's good. We, that's our, we want them to be that. Right. But we have to have powerful boundaries back or else they're just going to knock us over. Yes. And they're also not going to be prepared for relationships with other people as they get older, respecting and and really having a sense of intimacy as something between two equals. Mm -hmm. This is what the world is going to expect from them. But if they're going out in the world and they're expecting them to be alpha and their, their mate to be beta and to follow them around everywhere, well, you're going to have 30 million alphas <laughs> and you know two betas you know no one's going to pair up it's going to be a mess so you're, you're looking for people who can really deal with uh, with somebody who's a strong nature across them because our young you know boys and girls are both developing this way it's not right i think that what you were saying that oh i know okay I tell me yeah so, tell me when, I was, when you were talking about with your son i was thinking in that moment that's a moment for a break you could like you don't have to wait till he does something wrong. Mm-hmm. He might just be toying with you, and you mm-hmm. might play back. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, and you ask him to put something away, and he pretends like he doesn't hear you. Mm-hmm. you know? And you just say, you know, take a break from it. What? What did you need? No big deal. Just take a break. <laughs> and then they go, but I don't understand. And then as you, and they're like, well, look, you'll take it or you won't. It'll get longer. And as you count five, four, three, they walk super slow and they hover their butt right over the chair and they wait <laughs> to finish the count. And then they put the butt in the chair and you go, oh, sorry. Now it's a three minute break. They're what? I'm sitting down. It's like, hey, thanks for playing. But you just missed by that much. I'm sorry. Let's, you know, you want to try again? We can go for the five. I don't know. Let's see. <laughs> Here it comes. Oh, fine. Oh, you know, and then it's but you're you're just sort of playing with uh, with that edge, and you're letting them test it around, and you're not taking it personally. It's not an argument. You set those boundaries, um, and they they adapt. And there's certain times when it's okay. They might not even understand why you gave the break. Right. If you're doing it in with a tone of respect, they don't. They will adapt. Mm-hmm. It's very, I mean, uh, I have a, a, a story that's coming to mind. I was in a class with um, some fourth graders and the teacher had to go out for a meeting. She said, can you watch a class for a while? And they didn't really have a lot to do except, you know, they, they had free time. So there's these four boys that go to this computer and they're sitting around the computer and I can see they're just getting more loud and more rambunctious and, as they're at. And I'm, when I started thinking, well, I got to, I have to figure out a way to give somebody a break here because I need that to tone down. I need that to create some sort of awareness mm-hmm. before it gets out of control. Well, I can't really see any anything to put my finger on it. So I just pick a kid at random and I go, oh, David, can you take a break from it? And this is a school for emotionally, I don't want to say disturbed, some were disturbed, but emotionally volatile children. Okay. So he's like, what? Why do I have to take a break? And I said, it's no big deal. You just need to take a break from this. But what did I do wrong? I didn't do anything. And I said, look, you know how it works. I can't talk about it till after the break. And he's like, but I, I, I didn't do anything wrong. No way. Why did you take me out? And I, I said, 
look, if you don't take it, it, it becomes a longer break. You, you know, you've got to decide five, four, three. Oh! <laughs> At the end of the minute, he gets up and he says, he says, Mr. Newman, I don't understand. Why did you give me a break? I didn't do anything wrong. I said, I said, look, David, it wasn't about that you did anything wrong. I'll be honest. The group was getting a little loud. I needed to get people's attention and I needed them to be aware and start to bring it down. And I just picked you at random. <laughs> it's just a minute, but I knew that if I gave somebody a minute, the rest of the group would become aware. They would lower their tone. They would start to calm and focus. And they did. Mm -hmm. Not the personal next time I'll pick somebody else. And he went, oh, okay. Right back to the group. No problem. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm here to manage things. If anything, that's calming. It's like, oh, there's somebody in charge here. Things happen. A stoplight on the way to work. You can get 10 stoplights on the way to work, uh, a meeting you're late to. It's nothing personal. doesn't mm -hmm. mean you're on the light. Right. And I love that. My next question was actually going to be, I think a lot of times as parents, we get wrapped up in the motion of the situation. Our kids are hitting each other. So that means they're going to be bullies and they're going to be fighting people every day at school and they're they're mean and they're naughty and we get wrapped up in that emotion of it. And so I love this. You're taking a step back and you're saying no judgment. You might not have even done anything wrong. It's right. just, we're just going to take a break. That's and right. I love how you describe that in your book. And with my boys, I find it super powerful because I really try not to say, well, you hit him. So you did that. Then you hit him back and you did this wrong because it's all day. I mean, we can never pinpoint. We don't want to be the referee. Right. We're just there to control the energy. And I love that if you can remain non-judgmental about their action and just say, you know what? We're going to come over here, take a break. It's fine. Nothing's wrong. Just, we're just going to take a second. And I love that tone. I feel like it takes the judgment and the intensity out of it that we can get into as parents yeah and i think what i'm reminded of is like it doesn't always have to be even fair it just has to be kind mm -hmm. you know it has to be kind and 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 sometimes you give a break or you end an activity why because it's they're making you work too hard right, so right. i i don't want to work that hard mm -hmm. I, you, I i've had to come in and uh, give you and your brother's breaks three times now. This is supposed to be a fun activity. Uh, so I'm going to turn off the game for now. Yeah. So nothing personal. Right. I just don't want to work that hard. I'm trying to, you know, prepare dinner and I'm trying to get some other things done. You can try this again later. Right. They did anything wrong. I just said, I'm not working this hard. Your kids then register. Okay. We need to, we need to, to make mom not work so hard, breaking up our fights if we want activities to continue. Right. Uh, or sometimes those activities can just be stopped for that day and postponed to the next day. Um, right. And that's the kind of thing that, that you want them to learn how to process. Processing frustration, processing disappointment, controlling yourself even when you're angry. You know, it's fine to be angry. I never have any judgment that you're angry. But what you do with that anger may lead to a consequence those, right. those choices and you know and then you'll have to figure out how that's how that works but part of us as parents is we need to administer frustration we need to administer deferred gratification because they have to experience those things 
we have to administer them not always having something to do and mm -hmm. then have to figure out what to do themselves. Right. We have to build those in. I often say that I like to think how would my grandma or a grandparent have done this situation? Because while I think, like you said, you know, physical punishment, fear, there are a lot of things that we've filtered out. And I think that's good for our kids, but we've come to a place where our children have so much power, which is making them feel unanchored, insecure. So they're pushing against us. Like who's going to be there. I'm going to keep pushing more with that power. And I think if I look back to how my grandma parented it, it was much more like, I'm going to meet you here and you're going to know like I'm this um, very grounded, strong boundary that you can push up against all you want. And this is how I'm going to be. And I love that visual. You know, a couple of things come to mind. I'll tell you two quick stories. One, um, you know, I have a daughter who's 30 now. Um, she's uh, my stepdaughter moved in when she was uh, 12. And she went to visit her, her grandma when she was 11 and stayed there for a week by herself. And grandma tells a story about uh, her one day walking around going, I'm bored, I'm bored. <laughs> and at one point, Granny said, you know, there's no reason for you to be bored. There's plenty to do. She said, come with me. She gave her a bucket, got a scrub brush and some soap. She brought her out to the garage. She said, this floor is a mess. Uh, I need you to clean it. Oh, no, no, I'm not that poor. She's like, yeah, you, this is something for you to do. When it's fully clean, let me know. <laughs> still bored when that's done i have plenty more for you to do mm -hmm. nothing personal but i need this done and you're bored great you know she never said she's bored again right you know and so and that's an on a simple level it's like look i need things done i'm not moving on this i get it the thing that's hard for us as parents i think now is that because kids are more willful because they're more empowered they push harder than we ever uh, pushed ourselves so we're like what's wrong with you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the answer is well you made me this way right and the visual of being you know this has gotten too hard or parenting is like this dreadful like slog that we're hating I, I think in a lot of ways we're creating that by not holding those strong boundaries when my mom would say clean your room I would clean my room because I knew that she meant clean your room now. And I, I hear a lot of feedback from our listeners to where it's like, you know, I'm asking my kid repeatedly not to throw his food on the ground and he's not stopping. So how can we meet them there? So let's take that example of you have a three-year-old who's throwing their food on the ground and you're asking them not to in that situation. Would you do a break? Yes. Right then. Well, first, you know, there's a natural thing you can do is they're throwing their food in the, on the ground. You know, I might take the food, the other food off the plate or the high chair uh, if they're sitting in a high chair and, I, and I, I clear the plate and I wouldn't say anything to them for a couple of minutes. And, you know, I'm going to wait for you to be quiet. And we'll try food again in a couple of minutes. Mm -hmm. it's, it's effectively a break, a break from your attention. 
so th this you can do with a very a very young child you know a one-year-old throwing their food on you clear the food out and you wait a minute and you get quiet and you you don't interact much you don't say much and you just wait and then a minute later uh are you ready for the food and you try it again and then they throw it on the food floor again and you wait a little longer and you you wait and it's like okay so part of the problem in a lot of those situations is our instinct is to get very animated and to explain in a passionate, angry or irritated way, or even in a compassionate, but elongated explanation of why our need is important and why the floor should be clean. And your kid is there. That's not the question they're asking. Totally. They're asking is, I have power. Do you have power? Mm -hmm. That's it. That's the whole question. You know, can I do this and get lots of attention and, and get more food? You know, and if you just put in some boredom and some delay in those, in response to that, the things all of a sudden start to shift. So there's some very simple things in terms of that interaction. I think um, I'm reminded that there's a, something I wrote in a newsletter recently. Um, you might've seen it. It was called, uh, No, I Want to Be Batman. Mm -mm. Little article. And it was about how playing with kids you can start to create natural boundaries in that. In the example in the story, it was a boy that I, you know, I, I did a lot of sort of play with on, on Sundays and um, he'd want to play action figures and he'd say, I'm Batman, you're Robin. And I, I said, no, I'm Batman, you're Robin. It's like, no, Batman has the better powers. I'm like, I know. And we would have a little back and forth and he'd say, and I'd say, well, I'm not playing unless I get to be Batman. He says, well, I don't want to play unless I want to be Batman. And then he'd go, okay, what if I let you be Batman for the first five minutes, but I get to be Batman for the second 10, but you got to go first. All right, I'm gonna make a deal. <laughs> that's an important kind of conflict you know if you're just agreeing with everything your kid wants to do and you have no opinion when they get into preschool and they meet other children with opinions right. they're gonna have a hard time navigating that yeah know? yeah something when you were talking that i pulled from your book that really resonated was the less talk less yeah. explanation our kids know if if we look at all the things that you know, we're disciplining them for in the day, I can say pretty close to hundred percent of them. They know not to do. That's right. And when I just switch into the delay gratification or um, just removing them from the situation, whether that's a break or removing the item. So if they're hitting with something, I just take it away, yeah. walk away. And now that that's like built into our family dynamic, uh, there's not even much protest. They're kind of like, oh yeah, that's like, of course mom took that away. I was whacking my brother with it. So yeah. just as they start to learn that balance, you can see their brains shift into more awareness of other people's power and also just more awareness of others in general, which as I interact with other kids, my kids' ages, I do notice that kids have way less awareness of others. Do you think that's something that is more, more prevalent now? Absolutely. And this, is, this goes to that theme that I talked about that's coming up in book two, which is our children, children in general, needed to used to have to adapt to the circumstances around them. That means you have to be aware of what's happening. Um, now we're doing all the adapting for them. When you give them information, 
you're denying them the opportunity to create that information. When you're solving the problem and explaining how it works, you're denying them the exercise of that muscle to solve that problem. Mm -hmm. You know, so when I hear how you're, you're parenting, I hear you are administering a kind of cause and effect to create an environment for your children to learn rather than trying to manipulate your children's brains. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Your children are smarter than you used to think. Mm -hmm. So you're creating that sort of a, a interaction and your kids are stepping up. Mm -hmm. That becomes their habit. So I've got to hear more about the new book. Can you, as we wrap up, can you kind of dive into the themes of the new book? Yeah, so one of the things that, that I will just say overall in terms of the book, aside from the themes, is that Raising Lions came out 10 years ago. And in those 10 years, I've mostly worked not in institutions and not mostly not with most, the most extreme children, but with children in everyday lives who are a handful at home or at school. There's a kind of a mixture of, of some of both of those. So the skills that and the particular steps for how people apply a pattern and change the dynamic at home or at school are more explicit and more clearly laid out uh, as opposed to simply inferred. I think the first book infers most of the things, but it, people need steps to take. So there's more clear steps to take. Now, there's a couple main themes. You know, one of them is how do we create an environment at home that gets our children to learn and adapt so that they're ready for the world and they have a strong sense of themselves, but a strong respect for other people. I mean, we've gone through a stage of parenting that was tried to provide and give everything the child needs like they were uh, you know an animal in the cage that we just had to feed the right nutrients and bits and play play tools in and they'd become a healthy animal but what they actually need is this interaction they need mutual recognition you're part of the equation them considering you is part of their mental health mm -hmm. they don't consider you their mental health is damaged Mutual recognition is the foundation. Now, to get there, you have to understand that your children are scientists. They're not preachers. They might grow up to be preachers. That's fine. <laughs> but right now, they're scientists, which means they're observing what happens. And they learn by solving problems and, and you know coming to conclusions based on the models they're building, observing what happens. Not on the explanation of what will hypothetically happen or what is hypothetically right or wrong. Okay, we're talking like preachers, but they're listening like scientists. Okay, that's a big, you know, there's a huge rise in anxiety, children with anxiety. This is directly related, and the research is just coming up in the last year or two. It's, it's connected to us making too many accommodations. This is the passive tantrum cycle. Right. Passive tantrum has a, uh, I have a little bit about that in the first book. I realize it's a much bigger factor. Children are training us that they can't do things. They're feigning an ability as they see that, that that tactic works. They do it more and more. It becomes a, a belief. It develops into a fear. We feed that fear by continually to accommodate and build a cycle. You can stop. Can you give a little example of that specifically how that looks? Yeah. So let's say, let's just do it around food. I only like this and this, and I don't want to touch anything else and I won't eat it. Well, if you've got a lot of anxiety about your kid eating and 
you don't know how to set a, a boundary around that, or you're not okay with letting them go to bed a little hungry one night or a couple nights, they're going to feed off that anxiety and they're going to use that as a place of power to sort of manipulate you to just give them mac and cheese every single night. Now, there's a story about a kid who just wanted like turkey loaf. He mm -hmm. just wanted like, four times a day for turkey loaf breakfast, turkey loaf breakfast. Turkey loaf at dinner, just turkey loaf. Turkey. And they were ended up, you know, anywhere they'd go, they had to bring turkey loaf, you know, brown, horrible, you know, you know strange meat that, that, that went with them wherever they went. Now their child trained them. He had anxiety about all these other foods. Well, you fed that anxiety because you couldn't hold the boundary and you couldn't regulate your own anxiety. Mm -hmm. so you need steps to put in place to walk out of that situation and bring them back into normal back and forth, you know? So, you know, there's a certain amount of the accommodations that are healthy around certain things, but we need children to participate in making the, the things workable for them. We don't, if we're doing all that moving for them, if we're doing all the adjusting, you know, it's like, let's take the turkey loaf, for instance. It's like, if you go out and you're going, look, we're not bringing turkey loaf out. So know that and either be prepared to eat something else, prepared to wait until you get home to eat. Mm -hmm. Because we're going to be having a meal. There'll be a number of things to choose from. If you don't want any of that and you're a turkey loaf guy, know the turkey loaf stays at home. <laughs> now they have to hold some of the frustration in that whole process. And you're not communicating an anxiety about it and they're not taking it on it's the accommodation the anxiety that's feeding that cycle so you have to step out of that with behavior action it, you need tools like what in my book to handle tantrums and if you can't handle the tantrums you're never going to make it through that day right totally. underlies it all and that that makes total sense and you can see how you know you do get in that cycle of you're okay. You know, I'm holding my, my hands up here and you guys can't see this if you're listening, but my left hand's down low. And this is, you know, my threshold as a parent for their misbehavior. So maybe I can, if they're the right hand, I can handle them till they meet me here. But then as they escalate this tantrum, I, I'm just going to give in because I, I don't have the ability to be more powerful than them. And you know, I've experienced this with my own kids. I see it in kids around me where they know if they push to this point, we're going to give into that. And that cycle, I can see how that's unanchoring as a kid because they're like, well, how far do I have to get out of control before my parent is going to, to hold me there? And so I'm really excited. You know, I feel like Raising Lions did a fantastic job of talking about this cycle. So I'm way excited for the new book to be able to dive into that a little more. Right. Yeah. I'm talking to my literary agent later today. So we're going to figure out the next steps. Like I've got a, a pretty detailed outline and summary. So we're going to just gonna fill in the blanks. So excited. Well, to everyone out there, I, I just want to say this book, um, if you're feeling like some of the um, parenting jargon or literature, even as you dive into like the kind of on the outskirts of respectful parenting, you can start to feel like you're not allowed to parent anymore. And I think that it can kind of get into that realm. And I always felt as I got more into respectful parenting, uncomfortable with that outskirt. That didn't really work for me. And your book gave me 
permission to parent and not feel any guilt or shame around parenting, that that was my job. It's not my job to be their best friend and feed them turkey loaf all day. Right. <laughs> but it, you're, I really love how your book gave me permission to parent without feeling like I can't connect and be respectful while holding boundaries. It, it really helps you see that we need that balance and so do our kids. And in the end, they will end up in a healthier state. So thank you for that. I'm excited for the new book and thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Yeah, it was a pleasure. The wonderful thing is that once you, once you get your head around the kind of things we're talking about and you can address conflict, you know, our kids are going to, are also training us how to live broader, more bold, uh, audacious, you know, successful lives, but we need to step up to the challenge. And if we can do it, um, things will get more joyful, but we have to be detached from the fight, from, from, you know, needing it to be happy every day and every minute. It shouldn't be. Right. And, um, and I, anyway, I have a great time talking to you and, uh, you know, people can go to raisinglions.com if they want to, uh, they want to find out more information. Some people go there just to, to read blogs or see videos. Some people go because they want one-on-one -on -one help, which right. I do with people around the world right now. So, um, and trainings and, um, yeah, you can follow me on, on Instagram and YouTube. Okay. All those we will things. link all of that. And especially, I think that will be helpful for people who are maybe wanting to see this in real life. I would love for them to check out your YouTube video. So we will link that as well. And we might just have to have a round two, especially on the new book. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love it. Right. Based in a couple months and see where we're at, but um, I'm hoping we'll have it out by the end of the year. Perfect. All right. Thanks, Joe. Let's find the magic. <clears throat> me, 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 me. <laughs> Brown cows. <laughs>